Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we're going to explore the ideogram controversy in remote viewing. With me is Dr. Paul H. Smith, a philosopher and the founder and director of Remote Viewing Instructional Services. He is also author of Reading the Enemy's Mind and The Essential Guide to Remote Viewing. In addition, he is one of the founders and twice President of the International Remote Viewing Association. Welcome once again, Paul. Awesome to be here, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, I know most of our viewers are probably unaware uh, that there is such a thing as an ideogram <laughs> controversy, but in fact, I would bet that most of our viewers are scratching their head and saying, what is an ideogram? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, let's start there. So, um, first I want to say... Uh, so, ideograms are part of Ingo Swann's controlled remote viewing theory, right? Uh, and practice, actually, part of the methodology. And um, just just to back up even a little further than that, when I was learning controlled remote viewing from Ingo Swann, it was like a real journey of self-discovery in many respects. It wasn't necessarily that I was learning things directly personally about me, but about being human. Mm. Because there were a lot of stuff in there uh, that we encountered, that we experienced, that we learned, that... Um, actually expanded my understanding of how humans worked and operated, particularly in the perceptual and cognitive spaces. It was very valuable and enlightening from that perspective. And one of the things that we encounter is this thing called ideograms. Now, uh, an ideogram, very briefly, is a little mark that you that is made on the paper as you're starting a control remote viewing uh, session, uh, you reflexively make this mark, and then that mark can actually provide some information that you can take down, uh, and then that leads into the rest of the session. It's That whole little bit is very short. It could be just a matter of seconds as you go through it. People who are learning, it may take longer, yeah. but for some of you's experience, it may be just a, a matter of seconds, but how well you capture the signal line, as we call it, then that is the signal that's coming in, that's bringing information, how well you capture that stage can sometimes affect how well the whole rest of the session comes out. So it's an important element. Um, Ingo came up with this idea of ideograms. It's actually an actual phenomenon that occurs when people first latch onto a psychic signal of some sort. Um, rarely were people remote or doing any kind of psychic uh, behavior such as clairvoyance or any of that kind of thing with a pen in their hand on paper when they started. And so there really wasn't, this wasn't really a recognized mm -hmm. thing in, in the ESP literature or, or experience. Um, but they got into this in an interesting way. So, uh, at SRI, where they were doing the research, they'd often get visiting academics, they get reporters, they get government people who are interested in it and wanted to see it demonstrated. So the SRI folks had tried out their best remote viewer who was on site at the time. Uh, they'd go through uh, one of what it, usually it was what we call an outbounder, where they're supposed to describe the, un, the location where some people have gone and they don't know what it is and they describe where those people are, right? Uh, and th they'd often do, the remote viewers would often do really uh, awesome demonstra demo demonstration session. They do really well at it. 
Uh, and the reporter or the academic or whoever would have been impressed and said, yeah, that's really impressive. But I don't know for sure if I'm not being tricked in some way, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so they would, uh, the SRI people would say, well, you saw it happen. Yeah, but there might be some way you're fooling me, right? And so it wasn't convincing. Even if it was a really good result, it wasn't convincing. Yeah. So there's this other phenomenon that the researchers that observed called the first time effect. They noticed that upwards of 80% of the time, when they put someone in an environment where they had a remote view that had never done it before, and they launched them into it, very often they would have a really good result the first time. They might start doing more poorly later on, uh, but the very first or second time they would have a really nice result, a really good uh, result. And the upside of that was that they knew that the that person doing that session would know how much he or she knew to start with, which was nothing, and then what they produced, which was remarkable, yeah. and that was convincing. So after a while... Uh, put off and Targ and I guess Swan and these other folks started talking about it and said, well, instead of trotting out a remote viewer doing this dog and pony show, why don't we just make the inquirer that's coming do it? Mm. The reporter or the academic or whatever. And that worked quite well. It did. They had, uh, by the time they were done, 141 data points, you know, sessions that these folks had done. And in uh, looking at these sessions, Ingo noticed an interesting phenomenon. Very often, early on, right at the start of the session, as they're trying to collect the contact with the target, you know, to latch onto it in a way. Um, there was this funny squiggle. And it, was, it wasn't on all of them, but it was on most of them. And it seemed to be a, fair, a quite common sort of uh, event on each of these pages. And so Ingo was puzzled, what, what is this? What's going on here? And it reminded him of something he encountered when he was in college. In, uh, he was, went to the college at Westminster College in, in Salt Lake City, and he had majored in biology and in art. And he had a book called Art uh, Art and the you know, something in the Art of Visual Perception. I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. Mm. Um, so, um, and I'm sure it'll come back to me by, by <laughs> halfway through, but yeah. uh, a, a book there, and there was a whole chapter on kids drawing kids trying to begin their first artwork. And one of the principles involved was when, when a child starts to draw for the first time, oftentimes they'll make kind of a little squiggle. It's like they're kind of capturing the motion, the experience first, before they actually start into what they're doing. And Ingo went and, or the guy's uh, author's name was Arnhem, A-R-N-H-E-M. And uh, Ingo went and dug out his copy of the book and opened that chapter, and he was comparing and said, well, there's a lot of similarity between what's happening in this chapter and what these folks are doing on paper, which suggested it might be a kind of common human trait in terms of just capturing something for the first time, right? So they did a lot of exploration of this. Hal and Ingo did a number of sessions, thousands of sessions altogether, and this was one of the things they were focusing on. And ultimately, out of that came the doctrine of ideograms. An ideogram is the first kinesthetic encounter with the signal line that you have. You say kinesthetic because it's the hand that's moving. Yeah, well, yes, the, the hand, arm. the arm, uh, and there's, uh, you know, internally, it's, it's, uh, kinesthetic involves muscle movement, mm -hmm. and it is in a way a kind of a sense and an expression of a sensory experience that isn't mediated by the conscious awareness. So this is essentially a non-conscious kind of a behavior. Almost akin to automatic writing. It is similar to that, except in this sense it doesn't convey anything intelligible, at least obviously intelligible. All right? It's just a mark, and marks are different in different ways. 
and uh, these marks are different in different ways. And <clears throat> and so that's where um, where this idea came from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it got incorporated into the CRV training. It did. Yes. Yeah. Um, and. You know, if you were being psychic in some other way, you wouldn't have an ideogram because you wouldn't have a pen and put it on paper. You, you kind of think of it as a, um, you know, like a, a seismograph, right? Which indicates when the earth is shaking, right? Yeah. Well, the ideogram indicates when you've hooked up to the signal line. Mm. Okay. And when he taught us to do this, um, we would get ideograms and he, he taught us that as you get an ideogram, there's also other information associated with this that you can pick up. And that's where the sensory element comes in. You can pick up the general nature of the target. You can pick up uh, what he called the feeling, but uh, that means consistency. Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it squishy? Is it fluidy? You know, just the consistency of it. Not and the problem with feeling, of course, is we you know tactile is a feeling, right? Yeah. But he's talking more about that. Okay, the, the the sense of what the inner nature of the thing is. Uh-huh. Okay. You get that and you get what he called the motion. And the motion was the experience you had uh, as you executed this shape. And the interesting thing about that is that often, that motion often represented um, some uh, feature like the, the outline of it or maybe some internal profile uh, or maybe even some motion that's occurring at the, at the target. So, so Ingo had the idea that you could read a lot into the squiggle. Well, no, you're reading it out of the squiggle. You're extracting <laughs> right, yeah. it from the right. squiggle, right? Or yes. you're, better yet, not from the squiggle itself, because that's just a graphic element on the page. But the process of creating that squiggle uh-huh. gave you information. Because it's, again, it's kinesthetic. It's coming into your body from the signal so line. So the squiggle itself, we could say, is densely packed. Well, the squiggle itself is just a mark, but what causes the squiggle is densely packed. All right. The experience that, that and ultimately, the, the, the squiggle, in a sense, is an epiphenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's going to be a tough word for some folks. What that <laughs> means is it's a result of something that in itself, of itself doesn't mean anything, but the process that created it is, is meaningful. Okay. Okay. It's going to be tough, I think, for some people to sort out. <laughs> Anyhow, you, you were trained to pay attention to this. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, it, it's amazing how well it works. I mean, I, I had one target once where the target was this uh, massive pillar that was a 12-sided pillar. It was in Mongolia, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's like 400 feet tall, something like that. It was massive. And I, when I came in on this target, the very first thing, you take a little, the coordinate or whatever the reference number is, and I made a circle on the page. But as I'm making this circle, I'm feeling it catching on every corner as I went around. It didn't show up on the page, but I could feel that in a kinesthetic way, feel those corners. So I knew they were angles here, even though it didn't look like it, right? Uh, and that may help some people understand kind of what's happening here. Um, so you end up with this, and that, of course, launches you into the section because that's a really good way of grabbing the signal that you're trying to decode and, and, and objectify. Um, and one of the things he taught was that, uh, and which is true, I mean, I say he taught it, but it's more he taught it, he just made us alert to it is what he was doing. He made us alert to the fact that uh, every one of these ideograms is unique. It's different from target to target. 
Um, each target has its own. And in fact, if you re, if you get targeted on that again, that site or target another time, you will maybe likely get a different ideogram because it has partly to do with what perspective you have when you come in on that target. You might be up here. Your point of view might be down here. It might be over here. It might even be inside. Okay. It might even be inside the target. And so, um, he was very concerned that you made sure these, that you didn't try and constrain these things. That you didn't try and make it come out a certain way. Okay. And that each one was individual and you treat it as an individual and you extracted whatever information you could from that process mm-hmm. that created it. And that's how you learned CRV from Ingo. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and now I gather other trainers of remote viewing place far greater emphasis on the ideogram and use it differently. Well, it, what they do is emphasis in a different place, okay? So, in, in the way Ingo taught it, you weren't supposed to look at the ideogram for information as it looked on the page. You were supposed to experience what you got from it as you created it. Um, there's this uh, newer approach, which is, in, in some respects, kind of 180 degrees out from how Ingo uh, expressed it. So, in, in the newer approach, you actually treat ideograms as kind of a lexicon, mm-hmm. So, uh, there are lots of different gestalts that an ideogram might portray. So, if the target is a structure, then the ideogram might come through in one way. And if it's water, it might come through in a different way. If it's land, it might come through in a different way. And well, viewers of this series uh, will have, some of them will have, in any case, they'll have access to my interview with Lynn Buchanan, who, okay. who is a remote viewing trainer, and he mm-hmm. talked quite a bit about using ideograms as ah. you've just described. Okay. Well, how... Mm-hmm. How he and others approach it. Um, he's he's one of these school uh, one of one of the sets of folks who have their school is yeah. this different approach to ideograms. So they treat it like a lexicon. So um, and he was also trained by Ingo, I presume. No, uh, no, actually, I helped train him. <laughs> you, okay, yeah, I helped train him, and yeah. he did it differently when we were at Fort Meade. Um, but he and uh, to drop another name, Ed Dames, actually, and at least my memory is this. Right, right. I'm telling you my memory. My memory is this. I recall being involved in a discussion where the two of them were talking about how useful it would be if you could train your subconscious to give you ideograms that were always the same for each different gestalt. So, for example, if the target turns out to be a structure, as you come in on the target, your subconscious says, "Oh, it's a structure here." Take this, and you make a kind of an angle on the page. Sort of right? like a, a Chinese character or an Egyptian yes. hieroglyph. Sort of, yes, yeah, sort of. Um, and, and it would be lex, lexigra- lexigraphical? I'm not sure how that <laughs> word, right? It would be a, a, a lexicon element, uh-huh. essentially. You have an alphabet of ideograms for to representing the different gestalts that you might get. Right. Okay. Um, and so, uh, a lot of people have been taught this methodology. Now, the problem with that, of course, is then the idea of motion and feeling don't seem to make very much sense. I mean, in the Ingo methodology, you, you describe the motion that you're getting as you're creating the ideogram, like up, angle, across, angle, down. Mm-hmm. As you're doing that, that's how you're describing it, right? Um, or it might be, uh, curving around fluidy, you know, or whatever. Well, in this case, it's a lexicon. Uh, they don't have those, you know, that kind of an ideogram wouldn't have those kind of elements to it. Mm-hmm. You would just identify it as a structure or land or, a, or okay. water or whatever, right? Um, 
And so there's been all kinds of confusion. Because I can well imagine if it were to work, if every time you drew wave, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like wavy lines, you'd know, oh, there's water yes. in the target, yeah. that would be useful. Yeah, it would be very mm-hmm. valuable because then you would cut down on... See, when people first start out, they do a lot of guessing. And in, in, this is stage one, right, CRV. So they get an ideogram, and so they just sort of guess at what it is, yeah. right? Because they haven't really learned that subtle nuance that comes with executing the ideogram. Uh, and it is very subtle in many cases, mm-hmm. but I have to tell you, you can learn to do it. And once you learn to do it, it comes through really well. So this is the controversy that, that yes. different remote viewing instructors treat the notion of the ideogram very differently. That is exactly right. Mm-hmm. So the Ingo approach is kind of a kinesthetic approach. Uh, the 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 lexicon approach is is more of a left brain because because lexicons are part of the left brain apparatus. I mean, uh, the alphabet alphabets, you know, num- num- numerical systems and things like that are are really processed in the left brain, generally speaking. Well, but these are pictures. Well, they're not really pictures; they're more symbols, mm. right? Uh, so, I mean, somebody's uh, ideogram for structure may not look like a structure. It may be a squiggle of some kind, oh, right? okay, yeah. Uh, if somebody's ideogram for water might be a loopy thing around, not necessarily wavy lines. Well, I know in an earlier conversation, you pointed out to me that there's new research about what we call the ideomotor response. Yes. And <clears throat> people have often thought that uh, automatic writing is controlled by the subconscious mind, not the conscious mind, the uh-huh. autonomic nervous system, in other words. Well, yeah, not that. Subconscious mind, maybe. Autonomic nervous system doesn't control anything <laughs> except the, the function of the organs. So, mm. you know, and, and things like uh, uh, blood pressure and things like that. Well, but, but yeah, but but the point you're making is right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And but, but the idea is that people at one time thought that the autonomic nervous system or the unconscious mind would control the movement of the hand. Yes. And now you're saying that's not the case. New research shows that the hand is yeah controlled by the conscious mind. Well, not not necessarily that even. Okay, right. so um, you have to. Um, we'll try and and come up with a verbal diagram here. Okay? okay, so if you think of the entire human nervous system, there's actually two major components to it. The first one is the autonomic nervous. Well, or the second one, depending on how you parse <laughs> it. The 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 first one is the autonomic nervous system, which actually ca- controls all the involuntary systems: the heart rate, the heartbeat. The actual heart function altogether, uh, digestion processes and intestines, uh, the, your blood pressure, your skin conductance, all that stuff is autonomically controlled. But none of that is musculature. Hand and arm muscles are controlled through the peripheral system, nervous system by the central nervous system in the brain. But remember, there's more to the brain than just our con- the conscious part. It's always more complex. It is always more complex. So um, we have, you know, roughly speaking, we have a, 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 the conscious awareness and you have the subconscious. And the conscious awareness can control hand and arm movements mm-hmm. like I'm doing now. Yeah. The subconscious can also cause them by causing inadvertent movements, at least consciously inadvertent. The subconscious has its reason for doing things that the conscious awareness isn't always privy to. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes, well, for example, when somebody jumps out and yells boo at you and you jump, okay, your hands are moving, but your conscious awareness doesn't make a move. Is your subconscious reacting to fight or fight or flight kind of environment, uh, causing you to take actions before you even have time to think about it, mm. right? And whatever that process is seems to be what's running 
uh, the idiomotor system and so well, on. Well, for, for a lot of people, that's habit. I mean, you train uh, your body to uh, perform habitually in a certain way, like driving a car. Yes. When you first learn, it has to be very conscious, very careful. After a while, it's automatic. So here's my question for you. Yeah. What is a habit? Well, I, I would say it's a, a pattern of behavior that okay, uh, is is conditioned and uh, becomes uh, routine and somewhat unconscious. Okay, that's right. It's a it's a pattern of behavior that is unconsciously controlled. Yeah, essentially. Now you can take conscious control of a habit. You can do that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we couldn't change our habits. Mm-hmm. But uh, in general, habits are run by this underlying system. But sometimes you can consciously create a new habit. Yes. And I presume the people working with ideograms in the lexicographic way is what they're what endeavoring they're trying to, do. to do. They're trying to impose a pattern on their subconscious, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're exactly correct. Um, and if it works well for them, that should be a good thing. Well, and that's, that's ultimately the point to come around to is... There is this controversy. There's this one way of doing things. Now, the problem I find with the lexical approach, that's the word I was looking for, lexical. The problem uh, I have with the lexical approach is, um, first of all, it seems to postpone being psychic. Oh. Yeah. Because the goal of remote viewing is to get your subconscious and conscious awareness working together so that you can objectify consciously experience the psychic process, right? But for the lex- lexic- lexical approach... Essentially, you're just relying on this underlying reflex that doesn't really convey a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And so you're really not really being psychic until you get to stage two. Well, whereas in the Ingo methodology, he really wanted us to just jump right into the, if you will, psychic world. I hate using that word because it's so loaded. I like it. But, but okay. <laughs> but there's no other word that really works, you know, yeah. so I'm going to use it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, he, he wanted, he wanted you to, if you're going to, if you're going to remote view, he wanted you to start remote viewing, yeah. not put it off, mm. you know. So that's one, one issue I see. Second of all, in a way, it's kind of impoverished because you don't really have a concrete notion of the motion feeling, which yeah. are fairly rich in the kind of information and experience you have to help you get well in Scotland. Well, I know Ben Buchanan, who advocates mm-hmm. oh, yes, this yeah. approach very strongly. We've had discussions. We've tells had discussions. me he personally practices his ideograms every day. Yes, so. that's the second drawback. Mm-hmm. In the Ingo methodology, the only time you ever did an ideogram drill after you did the first one was if you're screwing up. <laughs> so I, I did, that happened to me once. I was, uh, I started making my ideograms all the same. Yeah. And Ingo said, stop that. <laughs> you oh. know? And what he made me, in fact, what he made me do is he, he gave me this empty soda bottle and put it under my hand as a kind of a ball bearing. Mm. Uh, it didn't work very well, but it enforced the concept that I'm supposed to just let it go and see what happens, mm-hmm. you know. Um, whereas in the, in the other world of ideograms, the, the this newer development, uh, you have to install this into your system and you have to work on it over and over and over and over again. You do interminable ideogram drills. And let me tell you, they are really tedious. So they discourage people from being involved in remote viewing sometimes because they haven't ingrained their particular lexicon mm-hmm. into the system. And if you follow Ingo's methodology, they're totally unnecessary. Well, okay, we've covered the topic. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, people who are studying remote yeah. viewing will find your perspective uh, worth pondering at least. Yeah. I've had people ask me about some of this and that have done the other methodology. Mm-hmm. And I explain Ingo's methodology to them and they say, oh, that makes a huge amount of sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul 
Thank you so much for uh, sharing this with me and for coming to Albuquerque. I hope you come back again. Or... Oh, won't be able to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> Great, because I, I look forward to uh, seeing you again in the future. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you for being with us. Thank you.